Welcome to the Natural Running Network. My name is Richard Diaz, and what I hope to do is introduce you to some amazing athletes and luminaries from the sports science community, and what has come to be expected, I'll provide some highly opinionated rants on all aspects of endurance sports and my current favorite, obstacle course racing. But before I get started, I want to give a shout out to Mudgear, makers of the best training and racing gear in OCR. Mudgear was the first compression gear built tough enough to help you conquer obstacles. When you race this season, look on the podium. You'll see top pros wearing Mudgear. Built tougher for OCR and made in the USA. Nothing else compares on the course. Check it out at mudgear.com and use my promo code DHP for a 10% discount off your order. Now sit tight, grab a cup of coffee, and let's do this. Okay, it's a rainy Tuesday morning here in Southern California. It looks like the entire week is going to be this way. And uh, I uh, just got back from the track. And a couple days ago, I reached out to my old friend, Matt Fitzgerald. And I said, Matt, I really think it's time to bring you back because we got some people confused out there about the way they should be feeding themselves and training and all this stuff, as I told him a moment ago, and I, I, I'm sure he's still blushing after I said it, but I told him that of all the people I know, he's probably the best versed person on debunking crazy crap that people do with their nutrition. And uh, with no further ado, Matt, would you say hello to our audience, please? Hello, audience. Great Great. to be back. Yeah. So Matt, you're like a return guy. I mean, I've I've had you on. I don't know how many times at this point, but it's been a while. It's been probably almost a year, huh? Yes, and, and an eventful year on my end. But uh, so I, I've had my distractions, but it, I I always love to circle back with you. Yeah, I know. I've been tracking you, and I see that you got back into doing some running more seriously, and and turned out some pretty decent times, right? Yeah, yeah. This time last year, I just started this uh, uh, eight-week adventure traveling around the country with my wife, uh, running a marathon every weekend, and uh, followed that up with a summer in Flagstaff, Arizona. I, I trained with a, a team of professional runners out there. Um, it was my 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 version of George Plimpton's old routine. Yeah. He did it in football, and yeah, so it was it was a hell of a year. I mean. The, you know, I started running when I was 11. I'm 46. That was the best year of running, 2017, the best year of running of my life. Uh, uh, and, yeah, it was just great. You know, what's funny about this is that you and I are probably the only people that are listening that are going to even know who the hell George Plimpton was because we're old enough. They can Google him. <laughs> yeah. All right, so, man, I want to talk about a couple things. You you had a blog that you posted the other day, and, and I'm not really looking at trying to draw that out so much is just it made me think again to bring this back you talked about these folks that are trying to operate on a low carb diet and then it made me start thinking about these keto diets and then started making me rethink about these paleo diets and you know you and i have kicked this can down the road many times before but I think it's important that we bring it back because I'm sure there are new people listening to this podcast and there are some old people that probably need to hear it again. And so let's just kind of start out with this. Let, let me just pose the question. What would be the principal concern 
for someone that is in the endurance sport arena that has made the decision to start cutting out carbohydrate thinking that A, they're going to be fat adapted and or B, someone that thinks that by ingesting copious amounts of protein and fat and cutting back on carbs is a good idea. Yeah, the, the, there's definitely more than one concern. Uh, the the principal one, I guess, would be when, when they make that switch, unless they're already on a, on a fairly low-carb diet, they're going to feel terrible initially, and their performance will suffer. They'll hate life, and they may eventually come out of that and start feeling better and performing better, or they may not. And the people who the trouble is the reason this is this keeps going on is that you only hear about the success stories you know people who adapt and don't regret it but for every one of those i think there's several who come to me and say help i went low carb and <laughs> it was a disaster so there are a lot of people who just it doesn't work for them um and i think even in the best case scenario you sort of come out even you know, you, you go through this difficult transition. It's sort of like starting over. And then really no one achieves like a big breakthrough, uh, you know, just jumping, leaping to the next level by going low carb. It, you know, like I said, it, the best case scenario is that you found a much more difficult way to be right back where you were before because <laughs> it's not an easy diet to sustain. Right. Now, having said that, I'm thinking – this is across the board with almost any type of transition in nutrition. I've been talking to people that have decided because so-and-so or so-and-so decided to go vegan, and they take a run at that for a while. And that transition all by itself may initially spark some feelings of improvement. They maybe feel lighter initially. And then after a little bit of time, they start sacrificing muscle, their performance start to fall off again. Maybe then, like you suggested, there are people that will kind of come out the other side and adapt and find it to be the, the way they like to eat. But at the end of the day, any kind of radical shift in the way you're feeding yourself is probably not a good idea. Yeah, that that's true. So uh, what what is true of the the whole keto thing, I also see with uh, you know, the, the plant-based diets, anything that is, you know, unbalanced or extreme uh, in any direction typically doesn't work out well in, in the long run. No. And I, I find this to be a real problem. And, and I'm not going to throw any individual under the bus, but I'm thinking about some people right now where they made the decision leading into an important event. So there's an A race coming. And they decide, say, three months prior that they're going to make a radical shift in the way they're feeding themselves. And then, unfortunately, when it gets near time to perform, they're in that lull. They're in that place where the, the repayment they were hoping to see did not occur. And then they're trying to remanufacture a normal process that it's almost too late in order to get to a place where they're going to peak for the event. You follow what I'm saying? Yes. Have you seen that before? Um, you know, you, you, I guess you know, you're talking about the, the timing for these types of uh, changes. I, I mean, I guess you know, I haven't really had a specific observation in terms of when, when people are likely 
to try a new diet in relation to upcoming events, but that makes sense. I had a guy, it was a clinic I did in um, Baton Rouge. It was uh, probably two years ago. And uh, a guy comes up, says, hey, you know, I've been listening to your podcast. I love what you're doing. La, 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 la. Really looking forward to doing this run clinic. And then uh, he said, um, by the way, I I'm not going to be able to run well today. So please understand, um, I'm in my, I think he said it was like my fourth or fifth week of a fat adapting diet. Right. Uh -huh. Uh, it might have been even longer than that, but he was he was midway into this process where he's hoping for this conversion to this promised land. But he finds that when he starts to run a little bit, he gets lightheaded. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh at him, but I mean, I think I started laughing at him when he told me that. But I'm like, oh, dude, <laughs> Did you, you didn't pick up on this. This isn't making any sense to you. Oh, gosh, I don't know. I mean. I just, I need you to help me with this, man. I mean, people need to understand that functionally, your body is going to require some carbohydrate in order for you to perform anywhere near your anaerobic threshold, anywhere near that. Races are not won at 110 beats per minute, right? Yeah. So could you build on the concept of this carbohydrate restriction where endurance sport performance is a concern? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, I, I actually just read a really interesting chapter on this topic in uh, Alex Hutchinson's new book, Endure, um, where you know, he's, he goes, it's a thorough primer on, on the science of, you know, sort of carbs versus fat as fuel sources, you know, you know where the science is today. Um, and, you know, his whole shtick, is he's a very balanced guy, uh, so he doesn't, you know, he tries to be, you know, fair to the high-fat, low-carb thing. But even when you're being as fair as he is, there's not much to recommend it. You know what I mean? If I was just coming into that chapter cold and knew nothing about it, I would not be inspired to try a high-fat, low-carb diet, you know, as an athlete who, who cares about performing. You know, they're each each fuel source has you know they're sort of complementary they they work in different ways they have different advantages if you go on a high fat low carbohydrate diet and train you will get better at using fat as fuel uh during exercise um and you know the the potential performance benefit of that is if you if you plan to do anything that is really really long at you know, a low intensity as anything that's really, really long by necessity is, you might last a little bit, you might last longer. Um, like your, your, your super low intensity endurance uh, may increase. There's actually no real proof that that's the case, but the science is pretty clear that you do get a lot better at fat burning at least. So if they handed out trophies for fat burning, that, that would be a slam dunk. You definitely <laughs> The downside is, let, let's put it into a pace, for example. Yeah. Now, I, I know what you're alluding towards. It's like if you're going to run a 100-mile event, and it's unlikely, unless you're you know top-tier athlete, that you're going to be able to carry this off any quicker than a 12-minute pace, something like that, right? Yeah. 
And so at a 12-minute pace, if you're healthy, most athletes are going to chum along at about 100 beats per minute, somewhere in that neighborhood. You know, with heat being an issue and dehydration, you know, your heart rate might start to climb a little bit above that. But at the end of the day, you're not going to be able to put the hammer down with 10 miles left to the finish because there's no there there. Is, yeah. <laughs> you know, right? You can't, you can't all of a sudden just reach out and, and grab some carbohydrate because if you've been restricting that carbohydrate intake, it's just not going to be there. Yeah. Right? And, and so you, you're never going to get that extra gear you're looking for if you're looking for it. That's correct. Yeah. And, so. Yeah, that, that, that gets to the downside. So Right. And well, but to me, in most events and most most of the types of events, the, the people at least that I do business with, their focus is trying to achieve a better pace. Yeah. And so if you're if you're leaning towards trying to go faster, that means you're trying to put the hammer down a little bit, and then it's a function of being able to survive or have enough energy to pull it off. Yeah. And if you put yourself in this precarious position with your diet, I would think that that'd be kind of a slippery slope. Yes. Yeah, the science is clear there. Um, when you, if you go on a high-fat, low-carb diet, you get better at burning fat and worse at burning carbs. And, and carbs, uh, that's an unchangeable. They, you, you, you have to rely. They're just a faster fuel. So the faster you want to go, the more you need to be able to rely on, on carbs. In, in, this, in this chapter I referred to, Alex Hutchinson makes the same point I make. It's like when you're racing, um, it's not so much like which type of fuel, it's how much. You just want fast fuel. So you, you want to be able to, to use both. Um, and and you lose the ability to to rely on carbs um, when you need to if you if you're on a high fat diet. And also the thing is that fat is a more um, sort of gas guzzling, really an oxygen guzzling fuel source. So your VO2 max actually declines uh, and your efficiency as well because if 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 your muscles if they only if, if they lose the ability to burn carbs and have to rely more on fat, even at faster speeds, more oxygen has to go into just breaking apart fat molecules and sort of less goes into moving you, you know, forward. So it's like you know, running with the emergency brake on. Um, and there's just, it's just physiology. There's, it's, there's just no way around that. So, All right. Well, yeah. then let's talk, about, uh, let's talk about this paleo thing because I know you love that so much. Uh-huh. I have a lot of clients that are now, I mean, CrossFit's getting to be a big deal. And I know you're probably uh, a lifetime member with CrossFit. <laughs> <laughs> but the idea of being on a paleo diet and trying to look great, lift a lot of weight, and then turn around and try to participate in an event, endurance event that may carry you upwards of, uh, 14 miles of mountain running. What are your thoughts on how that energetic process works out? Uh, so wait, are we talking about CrossFit or are we talking about paleo? Well, what happens, I guess I should be more clear. And, and what happens is the community I deal with, they know that they need to be strong because we're talking about OCR athletes. Okay. They need yeah. to be strong because they're facing obstacles. They got to carry heavy things and then they have to run. 
And they may have to do this over the course of, let's just put it out there. If you were to do the Spartan World Championships, which is held at Lake Tahoe, and I think the start line is in and around six, 7,000 feet, and it makes its way up to about 11,000 feet, and you're going to be climbing and hand over hand on obstacles and things like this mid-run. And this is going to go on, well, you could either do, last year it was 17 miles. And uh, the, the following day, the Ultra Beast, which is, uh, I think it turned out to be about 34 miles worth of running with obstacles attached. Now, try to imagine going into something like that. And because a lot of your friends goaded you into CrossFit style exercise and paleo lifestyle, do you think that that's, I mean, I'm almost loading your lips here. What do you think about that? <laughs> I don't. I don't want to do that to you, man. What, yeah. do you, what What are your thoughts on that? I mean, would you, if you were coaching someone that came to you and that was their mindset, what kind of recommendations would you make? Yeah, the the way I uh, like to answer that question is: uh, Imagine CrossFit didn't exist, and you wanted to train for one of these competitions that you just described. Um, and, and so you, you were definitely going to do a lot of running because you're training for a, a running dominated event, but you also need to be strong to get through these obstacles. So if, if CrossFit didn't exist and you needed to come up with the perfect strength training complement to the running so that you're specifically prepared for this competition, would you invent CrossFit for that purpose? The answer is no. <laughs> People only do it. People only do it because it's there, because it's a thing. It's not, it's not perfectly suited to that, you know, that purpose. So why don't you just do, why don't you just do that? You know, think about, uh, you know, exactly what, what sort of strength do I need? What would be an efficient targeted approach? Cause there's just, you know, CrossFit's, you know, okay. There's, it's got, it's going to be beneficial, but it's not the best possible way that you could, you know, uh, get you know, complement your running for obstacle racing. So what you're leaning towards is more sports specificity. You, you, yes. I got to climb a rope. So guess what you got to do? You got to go climb ropes. You got to climb over a wall. Guess what you got to do? Go climb over walls and, yeah. and possibly put those things together with running so that you're, you're being very specific to the task at hand, right? Yeah, exactly. All right. Now this is probably going to take a little energy, right? Yes. And so, you know, beyond the exercise selection, if you're going to feed this individual, what might you recommend as a good feeding strategy for someone that is preparing for an event that's going to take, you know, more than a few hours, it's going to take them to the altitude, it's going to, it's going to be pretty taxing. What would you suggest their diet be comprised of? Yeah, I mean, I would, uh, you know, it's... It's the endurance diet, you know, that's, uh, that's what I call the way top endurance athletes by and large all over the world in across all disciplines eat. So it's just, it's a balanced diet focused more on quality versus a macronutrient. Um, so yeah, I mean, if, if you eat that way, just a nice balance of, you know, all of the natural unprocessed food types. It's and it and you do it sort of within the framework of, you know, a, a cultural cuisine. 
um, whether you know you're Polish, so you eat Polish foods, or you're Canadian and you eat Canadian foods. If you do that, it's going to be you know a a moderate to moderately high carb diet, um, and you're going to have adequate amounts of fat and protein. You, you, that's the way it's going to work out, even if you don't even pay attention or count or you know do any sort of calculations at all. But I, you know, what I see in top performers in across endurance disciplines all over the world is that focus on balance and quality, um, and just letting the macronutrients kind of work themselves out. Um, at the end of the day, what we're really talking about is, and, and I read your book too. So the endurance diet book, incidentally, a great book. If those of you that are listening haven't had a chance to check it out. And I, I like that it's evidence based. You just went around and chased guys down that are doing the kind of things we're talking about. And these are the people that are having great success, right? And the majority of these folks are eating a high amount of carbohydrate, not a moderate amount of carbohydrate. Am I wrong? You are right. Okay. I guess where I'm going with this. See, I'm, I'm asking you these questions, hoping you're going to say the things I expect you to say. <laughs> <laughs> so you're really kind of here as like window dressing here, I guess. I'm using you. I don't mean to be that way. But I, I mean, I read all your books, dude. So I, I mean, I kind of know what you, I know what you said. I just want yep. I want other people to hear what you said. You're, you're being politically correct. You know, it's not a good time in, in, in our in our history to do that. Yeah. So that yeah, that, that is true. If you're going to put numbers on it, um, you know, and it's different for elites to, to an extent than it is for weekend warriors. But, you know, I went to Kenya um, as part of my research for that trip where the, the average elite Kenyan runner gets 76 percent of his daily calories from carbs. Right. So and they seem to do all right. Well, um, but, you, I mean, truth be told, he's putting in a lot of work. Right. Yeah, that, that's why I said it's different for. So there's a matter of scaling. That's why in the book I advocate what I call um, a carbohydrate-centered diet versus a high-carbohydrate diet. Because um, if you're, you know, only exercising 45 minutes a day on average, then it's not really high carb because you just don't, you don't need all that many calories to to start with. Um, but still, you know, you're, you're just you know. Just like you can't necessarily run 120 miles a week, so you're just scaling. You're, you're, you're copying the basic patterns of their diet and scaling it down to your activity level. Right. So if you, like you suggested, if you're a weekend warrior and your running volume is like 20 miles a week, you know, somewhere in that neighborhood, and you're getting a little exercise at the gym with your friends or whatever – and, you know, all said and done, your collective exercise is maybe under six hours a week, then clearly 75, 80% of your total calories from carbohydrate would not be prudent. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, so you're all, you're going to, if you, if you don't plan on burning it, you probably should not eat it. Right. Right. And so I should probably be looking in the mirror as I, as I say this, right. But at the end of the day, I, I'm with you. I, I think that the um, the important thing is finding quality food stuff uh, instead of processed foods, and making sure that all, all parties are there. I don't know if I've ever shared this with you. You know who Tom Fahey is, right? Nope. Tom Fahey used to be. I don't. Know, he might be retired by now. Uh, I'm getting old, so I'm sure he got old too. But he used to be one of the principal uh, exercise scientists for Quaker Oats. And I listened to a lecture he gave, must have been almost 20 years ago. 
And it stuck with me. And it just always kind of stuck with me. And he suggested this little analogy. He says, let's, let's say that you, meaning you, Matt, myself, and my wife are going to have a barbecue. Matt's supposed to bring the meat. I'm supposed to bring the charcoal. My wife's supposed to bring, bring the matches. If any three of us don't show up, there's no barbecue. <laughs> right? And so right. the analogy being fat, protein, or carbohydrate. Yeah. If you want to have successful metabolism, all three of those macronutrients need to be in play. Otherwise, things aren't going to go well. And that's always kind of stuck with me as kind of a baseline thinking when it comes to feeding process. And whenever I hear somebody tell me that they're going to reduce their carbohydrate intake to some ridiculous number, or they're going to increase their protein or fat intake to some ridiculous percentage, it starts to cause me to get nervous for them. Yes. And the, the, tr the trouble with paleo is that um, of the three macronutri macronutrients, the one you really don't want to overdo as an endurance athlete is protein. A high protein diet inhibits mitochondrial biogenesis. So, you know, when you train for endurance, one of the ways you get fitter is that your muscle cells increase their concentration of mitochondria, the little intracellular factories where aerobic metabolism occurs. And on a high protein diet, you get less of that effect from the same amount of training. So it's another way of driving with the emergency brake on. So. And then, you know, the paleo diet tends to be a, a high-protein diet. The, the, another one that's high-protein is the zone diet. That's a 30% protein right. diet. And that one, that one was actually studied. They put some runners on that diet and looked the, at the effect of the zone diet on running performance, and it, it declined on that diet. And it was probably the high-protein content of the diet that was to blame. Not to mention it's really rough on your organs, right? I mean, yeah, over time, it just... Yeah, 30% probably is is safe if um, you know that it's coming from good you know good clean sources. Um, but yes, I mean that's the other thing. Like you know, protein is it's funny. Like uh, of the three, protein is the one whose reputation really has never been sullied. <laughs> you know, right. carbohydrate has had is getting its turn in the barrel. You know, fat has been uh, you know demonized in, at least in the past. Less so now. Uh, but protein is the one that is actually toxic. <laughs> right. Well, and the other end of it, too, is I see guys that will, and I, this has been for years now. I mean, I see guys that will go do a big workout, and the first thing they want to reach for is protein. And I'm talking about a lot of protein. They're, they're going to have a protein shake after the workout. Yeah. They're going to have a protein shake before they do their workout. They want to make sure they're putting all that protein in so that their workouts are going to go well or they're going to pack on a lot of muscle because of the workout. Everything that I've ever read, and I have paid attention over the years, and I've not been dead asleep, nothing has shown me that to ingest great amounts of protein has any value whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, if even if you care mostly about building muscle versus being able to run up a mountain an elevated protein intake helps you put on muscle initially but once you have that muscle one of the ways you adapt to um strength training is that you get much better at retaining protein uh so once you put on the muscle you want you you don't really need extra protein and um 
and even in the first place, when you're putting on muscle, it's, it's more just a surplus of calories that helps you put on the muscle, not so much protein. You know, elevated pro protein intake does help in that, in that process, but it doesn't need to be over the top. And, yeah, know, well, define elevated. I mean, I'm thinking like anything beyond about a gram per kilo body weight is probably getting to be an excess. Yeah, I think, you know, 1.2, I think, is uh, the number that's that's in my head is sort of, the, you know, there's a, the rate limiter is just your body's ability to absorb and metabolize the protein and, and turn it into muscle tissue. And so you can like, you know, if you have like a protein shake with 30 grams in it, about a third of that actually gets put to use and the, the rest ends up in the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> and when you think about the amount of money you're spending on these supplements, you don't want to have 30% of your investment go in the toilet, right? No. I, I just find it just irritates me when I see people put themselves through it. And again, this is 90% of the reason why I asked you to do this with me today is because I want people to at least hear another view and I don't necessarily have to say that we're right but we we definitely want people to consider another view and you know I've been at this a long time if I, if nothing else call me a spectator having been around it for so long and seen so many different types of diets come and go and I always come back to the to the same old thing I mean if you just eat a sensible diet make sure that you're getting a quality protein make sure you're getting quality carbohydrate and make sure you're ingesting quality fats. And even if you just ate to satisfy your hunger, eat when you're hungry. And yep. you know what I mean? Instead of like feeling like, well, I got to take in 700 calories after my workout to replace the 700 calories I just burned. And 70% of that's going to be protein because I want to be really muscular. Right. Some, some ridiculous proposition like that. Yep. And then on the other end of the scale, those that have decided they want to be lighter, they want to drop some weight because they feel like they'll be faster. And then, I mean, clearly they're going to be faster if they're lighter. You know, I know you're going to back that up. But at the end of the day, if you shift away from, let's just say that you're still eating quality food. You're, you're going to eat quality food. You're not going to go to processed foods, but you're going to get away from proteins that are animal-based or even dairy, just going straight vegan and relying on this type of diet to provide for you. That's a really slippery slope, I find, too. Yes. And so you may initially find that you're lighter and what have you, but what I commonly see happen is people start sacrificing their, their power output, their strength. You agree? Yeah, and then you know a variety of deficiencies uh, can crop up too. Um, yeah, I mean you know iron's a common one, B12, but yeah, you you can just uh, you know in specific individual amino acids. Um, it's just uh, it's walking a tightrope. You know, I, I see a, a lot of uh, people who athletes who go on plant-based diets like. They're okay for a while until there's like some disruption. Maybe they spend, you know, a summer um, in a different country, you know, uh, training and maybe they take their family there and that's when it all goes sideways or um, they 
uh, train for a longer event than they've ever done. And, and what was what was okay, what they got away with at a lower training volume, suddenly they, they go sideways. So I, I, I've seen, it's a common pattern that, that I've seen. So, you know, my question is always like, why take that risk? You know, if there's, if there's another, another way to eat for performance that where those risks aren't there, like, yeah, now again, you know, a lot of people, they, they, they go vegan for ethical reasons. And I have, I have nothing to say about that. I'm just saying like, you know, in, in, for health, fitness and performance, there's no reason to do it. And there's some good reasons not to. Well, I don't even have a problem with people going vegan if they're responsible enough to make it work. And that's not easy to do. I mean, you just really got to know what you're doing. And no, the, the trouble is, Richard, like even the people who do know what they're doing often end up in trouble. Again, I, it's, it's usually like pretty knowledgeable, conscious people like they and they still like, you know, it does work out just fine for some, you know, the Scott jerks out there. But even the ones it, it's just, you know, I, I've heard it like I was so careful. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, well, look, and I, I got to tell you, I mean, again, I, I know this is a little foreign territory for you, but I have uh, right now, I don't know, between a couple different training programs that I'm, I'm involved in, I've got close to 100 clients I'm working with. And if I was to average the number of races they do in a season, they're racing on average almost every other weekend. And they're doing events like, for example, two, day, two days. So they'll, they'll do like an event on a Saturday and come back and do an event on a Sunday. So let's say, now they call it a super event. A super event yeah. being an event that is like, say, on average, eight miles of mountain running with obstacles. And then come back the following day and do a sprint, which is three miles high intensity, similar courses. And so back to back. So you go out and you, you punish yourself for this eight mile event, get up in the morning and then throw intensity at it for uh, a 5k distance going balls to the wall. And I think that if you decided to make this transition because you're thinking it's going to make you lighter and make you faster, even if you lose a few pounds, I just think that putting on that type of workload and never really getting a clear opportunity to recover for an event and prepare for the next event. And then put yourself in that jeopardy with your diet. It's just a bad idea. That's my whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, I just uh, wrote uh, an article for Triathlete Magazine uh, on this topic. It hasn't been published yet, uh, but it will be soon. But the title of the piece is The Race Weight Trap. And I talk about some elite triathletes who uh, kind of went down that rabbit hole. They uh, changed their diet um, either just reducing calories or eliminating uh, animal foods or whatever in pursuit of getting leaner and, and lighter. And they did, and their performance tanked. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I, I like to make a distinction between what I call earned and unearned weight loss. Earned weight loss is, is uh, it's more of a form follows function way of losing weight where you, you train for performance, you eat for performance, and if you lose some excess body fat, which you will if you train and eat for performance and you have excess body fat to lose, it's not going to come flying off you. But if you lose weight in that way, the weight loss will help you perform better. But if you pursue unearned weight loss where you just eat less, 
you you will lose weight in a way that actually sabotages performance. There was an interesting study I talk about in the piece where they had non-athletes, basically non-exercisers, go on a, uh, either of two different weight loss diets, and they they tested the effect of losing weight on endurance performance. So they did an endurance test before the diet and after the diet. Exercise wasn't a part of it, so they just wanted to see if, independent of exercise, if they lost weight, would their endurance performance improve? It didn't. <laughs> so like, you know, that unearned weight loss is, it's, you know, it's fool's goal. You, you know, you, you want to eat and, you know, there may be a time for it, like during the off season, you know, if, if you are, you know, 20 pounds above the weight you, you know, you really should be at, it's fine to like pursue weight loss sort of independent of the training cycle and then get back to eating and fueling for performance that, you know, but you don't want to mix those two things together. I love that. I absolutely love it. I sat there thinking, I'm going to let him spill it out. And I'm not going to interrupt him because I'm thinking just now, I love the concept of earned versus unearned weight loss. And, and I have preached that to people with never actually spelling it out in that way. But I love that. I'm going to use it. I hope you don't uh, sue me later for it. But Of course not. <laughs> I, steal, no. I steal your stuff all the time. Yeah. Well, I, I just think the concept of earning the weight loss is what you're after. And if you periodize your work in such a way that when you're leading up to an A event, that you're increasing the volume of your work, you're increasing the intensity along the way, and you're eating in order to keep up with the workloads that you're that you're doing, your body will start to let go of the unnecessary baggage. You're going to start dropping some body fat, and you're going to get to a better place. But, yeah. if, but if you try to rush the process, you're probably going to put yourself in jeopardy. You're going to find that you're not sleeping as well. Your cortisol levels are probably going to go through the roof because you're still stressed. Your body still wants to be fed and it's not getting the food it needs. And then you're going to suffer the consequences of that whole thing. And I just, uh, I, I'm with you. I love that idea. Yeah, you know, I, I experienced it myself, you know, personally when I was with uh, this professional running team in, in Flagstaff because this was an all-in experience for me, right? You know, I'm, I'm 46. I'm chasing a PR in my, like my 41st lifetime marathon nine years after I set my existing PR and you know, that's a pretty big ask for, yeah. oh, yeah. for an old runner. And I just wanted to do everything I could to, to make it happen. If, if, you know, if, if it was still physically possible for me and you know, my racing weight forever had always been 150 pounds. Um, and, but you know, I, I, I practice what I preach. So, you know, I, I hoped to maybe get a little lighter you know, during the 13 weeks I spent there, but I wasn't going to do it by starving myself, you know, so I actually lived with, with one of the runners on the team, Matt Yano, he's a 212 marathoner, and he's, he's a very clean, you know, conscientious eater, so I, I copied a few things from him, and I just, you know, of course, I trained like crazy, so, you know, I was just focused on performance, I was, you know, training at a high level, I was, you know, really raising the bar of my fueling standards, not through deprivation, but just a quality focus, and I ended up running the Chicago Marathon at 141 pounds. Wow. Wow. Which was, yeah. I mean, it's like, I didn't know I had that much fat to lose, but. Oh God. But you're six it, foot tall, right? Six one. Yeah. <laughs> My God. You stand yeah. sideways and just put a little bit of Shinola on you. You'd have been Ethiopian, man. You could have pulled that off. Yeah. It's funny. Like, you know, I just, yeah, I. I my body just transformed, but I did it the right way, you know? So the mistake a lot, a lot of people make is that they just, they come up with a number. It's like, oh, I want to race it this way. Well, where did that come from? Is it, 
Because uh, you, you really need to just focus on the process and see where you end up, like do things the right way. You know, even if the number you end up at is not what you would have predicted, you have to trust in it because you got, you got, you earned it. How long did you stay in that training camp? I was there for 13 weeks. Wow. What was the peak volume you were getting done? Um, nothing crazy. I got injured halfway through. I, I would have gotten a little higher if I hadn't had that interruption, but, um, peak running, my heaviest week of running was 91 miles, 92. Wow. That's a lot for an old yeah. man. That's it didn't lot. seem like a lot, uh, because I'm surrounded by guys running 110, 120, even 130 for one or two of them. Yeah. So. But they're half your age. Right? Yes. That's yeah. a big difference. Yeah. Wow. I'm proud of you, man. That's that's big. It was a cool experience. I'd imagine. I wasn't doing it just for myself. I more than anything, you know, we've talked about sort of substance substantive differences between, you know, my diet philosophy and, you know, paleo and whatever's out there. But really what I'm trying to sell to athletes more than anything else is a different approach. So put the substance aside and I'm saying, you know, don't get caught up in people telling a nice scientific sounding story about why you should eat it a certain way. Science is great, but why not just do some monkey see monkey do with the highest performing athletes in the world? You know, just, you know, copy the best practices of, of the best athletes. And so I wanted to, as this aging, competitive, recreational athlete, I wanted to show it, you know, like in a sort of a, in a, in a concrete way. I wanted to put myself in an environment where it's all best practices and just see what happened, you know, and, and hopefully, you know, I would be proven right that if I, if, if, you know, obviously I'm, a, I'm an above average runner, but I'm, I'm not, and never was elite, but, but by doing things the elite way I had, you know, I ran the best marathon of my life, you know, years after I thought I ever would be able to do that. So, you know, you don't, it, it, it works <laughs> just do what the winner does. Well, I agree with you on the monkey see monkey do concept. The problem I find is that too often people look at one monkey. Right, exactly. Yes. <laughs> we need to look at a, a bunch of monkeys. Let's not look at just one monkey. Just because one guy pulled something off does not mean that it's going to work for you. And right. There's too much of that study of one going on where they they yeah. see somebody that they look up to and he's been doing something ridiculous and it doesn't matter because he's godlike, and if I do what he does, I'll be as he is. Yeah, and the problem is um, what the outliers do is, you know, there's that, that old cliche about um, dog bites man is not news. Man bites dog is news. <laughs> so, you know, the outliers, the high-level athletes who do things in a weird way, that's man bites dog. It's interesting. It's newsworthy. Um, whereas, you know, the common practices, the stuff that most of the elites are doing because it works, that's not as sexy. It's not as exciting. So people, to a certain extent, they have no one but themselves to blame. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. Wow. Wow. That's cool. That's refreshing, man. I, I'm glad I got a chance to get you back on here because this is the kind of thing that people need to hear. I think people need to realize that. There's no magic bullet, man. You, they keep looking for a way to get around actually doing the work. And I mean, if they figure that out, I want them to call me because I've been trying and it's not working for me either. You know, I'm just, I, I end up having to do the work or I suffer the consequences for having not done it, you know? Yep. And um, 
doing sticky things to try to get to a place where you you hope you'll perform better is just bad practice all around. Yep. Well, look, Matt, so you got a book in the works? You always got a book. Every time I call you, you got a book. Yeah. Um, the the long-awaited sequel to 80-20 Running, 80-20 Triathlon comes out in September. Wow. And there will be more after that, but I want to keep the focus on that next one. Yeah. I was on your site, and I'm going to share with people that it's mattfitzgerald.org. I got it to memory now, dude. Nice. And uh, I was counting the books that showed up in your your little bookstore there, and I counted, I think, twenty four. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> well, that's awesome. I mean, I'm sixty five. I'm trying to pull out book two. Mm -hmm. I'm about fifty pages deep. Uh, probably be sixty nine before I get to another twenty pages put together. <laughs> I got to learn how to do it, man. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's my thing, you know, I, I, know. I, I love to write, uh, but it, it's hard no matter what. It's a, well, it's a grind. well, you said to me a long time ago that the problem is with me is that I got too many things going on where you write. That's what you do, right? Yes. Between clinics coming up, I've been doing these clinics, doing VO2 testing and helping people with running mechanics all over the country. I'm going to Chicago in May. I'm coming back here to do another one in June. I'm going to Killington, Vermont in July. I'm going to Atlanta, Georgia in November. And I'm going to Austin, Texas in December. Wow. Between those trips and the work I'm doing locally and the coaching I do online, the whole thing, trying to squeeze off a little bit of time to be focused on writing something that makes any sense, it's just tough for me. Yeah. Give me, give me some advice. I need some advice on how to get this book done. Well, I mean, uh, one thing I do when I travel um, in order to keep up with training sometimes is like what I call the 10-minute workout or anything is better than nothing. So it's like no matter what, you have to do something. And, and you know, sometimes I'll, I'll just say, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll get up uh, at – you know, five thirty, and I'll just run for ten minutes on the hotel tre treadmill. Cause like, that's you know, even if I'm tired and I've got you know, I got in late and I got a full meet day of meetings ahead or whatever, I I can wrap my head around that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And oh, and usually when I get down to the treadmill for my ten minute run, it turns into forty five minutes or whatever. Just, just it's a rule. I have to write at least one sentence a day, because you know you're holding yourself to something that will be habit building. But you're you're not being cruel to yourself, you know. You're not asking for something unrealistic, and I I mean it literally, just like one at least one sentence. But I think what you might find is similar to my 10 minute workouts. Like when you sit down to bang out your one sentence, you write a whole page instead. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna try that when I get off the phone here. I'm gonna sit down and turn 10 minutes into an hour and a half. There you go. All right, brother. Thank you so much. Uh, anything that you'd like to promote while I got you here for the last few minutes? Uh, well, I think we did a good job with the endurance diet. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> All right. Very good. Listen, best to you. I hope you uh, are on the mend and, uh, I'm looking to see what happens when you turn 50. I'm expecting maybe another PR. Well, friends, it's time to bring another show to a close. Be sure and tune in to us next week. We've got a lot of great content in store for you. I want you to tell your friends to check us out. 
You can always find us on Facebook. Simply go search the Natural Running Network. Drop us a message. I'd love to learn more about you and the things you do. And until then, you have an amazing day.